Riverbank's Cow Care Podcast. G'day, I'm Sean Britton. Welcome to the Cow Care Podcast. You know, most episodes focus on how to boost milk production and profit. This time I've got a bit of a different yarn for you. The Riverbank stock feeds you know today actually started more than 60 years ago with one man's journey. Hello, um, my name is Mario Bozza. I come to this country in 56 with a bag, two suits and two pair of shoes and a few shirts and nothing else. Mario is the founder of Riverbank Stock Feeds. My producer Miles Martignoni talked to him about how he went from coming to the country with nothing to creating this company. He started by asking him why did he come to Australia. A bit of spirit of adventure. And uh, well, there was a connection between my family and another family in Western Australia, which they were very close friends. They were more like uh, related, but we're not related, they just called close friends. And they went uh, in a place called Boyerbrook, and we finished up there, joined them. And so what did you think when you first arrived in Australia? Oh, disaster. <laughs> I, I went to work in a timber mill, and they sent me in the yard, and the sun there was 42 degrees, 45 degrees, and my face peeled all of it. Yeah, all my skin, I lost all my skin on my face. In fact, a friend of mine that uh, uh, traveled with us on the ship, he saw me two weeks after and he didn't recognize me. I was ruined. Yeah, but that uh, was a start. We were working um, in the timber mill during the week. Uh, and uh, at the weekend we worked in farms. They used to pay us three pound cash per day. That was good money, very good money. And uh, yeah, and that. But I didn't like uh, the town Boyerbrook. There was one little shop, one pub, and that's it. And I said, "This is not the scene for me." And. Um, we used to go and buy in this shop stuff to eat, uh, mostly cans, and, and everything was made in Melbourne. Everything, most everything we bought, made in Melbourne. Like all of the food in the shops. Yeah. Eight months after I got on the train, out back to Melbourne. So when you got to Melbourne, um, was it the biggest city you'd seen in Australia? Oh yes, yeah. Perth was fairly big as well, but um, Perth was uh, two hundred miles away, so it wasn't uh, accessible. Uh, when we got to Melbourne, uh, well, looking for a job, and uh, eventually I found one around the house doing television cabinet because I was a cabinet maker. And that was uh, very successful. It was making big money there. But working 12 hours a day, six days a week. And uh, yeah, 
And then uh, I, I had the idea to open up a business. And uh, at that time, the first idea came to my mind to open a gelati factory. You know, the Italian gelati. And my father said, oh, we better buy a house first. So we finish up buying a house in Preston. M meanwhile, somebody else opened, uh, the name of the company is Everest. They opened a gelati factory. They took your idea? Uh, they took my idea out, so that was gone. And then uh, I was looking for a shop. And we found a shop in Thornbury, it was closed. And uh, I knocked at the door and an old lady came in, came out and said, uh, can I help you? I said, look, we're looking for a shop. This shop is empty. You want to lease it? He said, no, I'm a war widow. I got the first preference and I heard that it's gone on the market. If I, I get this notice from the agent, uh, I'll send you a letter and you make an offer. But I want 300 pounds to get out. 300 pounds was a lot of money. But I said, okay, agree. And then two months later, she, she sent me a letter and uh, it was for sale. They put for sale and she took it because she took the board off. So I got the first preference and I got somebody who wants to buy. And uh, in that spot, there was two continental groceries. And I said, that would be perfect for a butcher shop. And that's what I done. I opened up a butcher shop. I didn't know anything about butchering. <laughs> I employed the butcher. And uh, we opened up and it was big success. Yeah. Uh, and then we had many butcher shops here. Yeah, we opened up other butcher shops. And this was uh, the beginning. Then uh, we bought, uh, made, uh, made some profit. We had some cash. We, I went to America. I got relations in California and I saw what they were doing and, and I had the idea to buy some land close to this, the city. And uh, the one piece of land came out in Dandenong on the market and we bought it. And that was a gold mine because we paid, uh, we paid top money, but in five years uh, it went ten to tenfold and uh, we sold it. And uh, meanwhile, we, there was a Whitlam era. Uh, you were not here, but everything went woof. My, the money I, I got from the farm, the value disappeared in about six months. And uh, eventually, eventually we finished up buying a, a farm in Benella to spend the money because you couldn't buy anything. Everything was rough. Um, and uh, that farm was all right, but it wasn't a success. I had uh, uh, 300 cows and calves. It was a big farm. And uh, 
I still had the butcher shop. Meanwhile, I, I decided to kill my own stock, the villiers, in Benella, buy some lambs around Benella. I used to come up with a truck on Sunday night, go pick up all my beef killed on Friday at Benella, early in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, and go to the butcher shop and work all day in the butcher shop. And then um, we realized that uh, we stayed there for seven or eight years, but it wasn't a success. There was a couple of droughts and yeah. So we decided to put that on the market. And so yeah. once, what did you do with the money you got from this farm? Okay, the, we, there was a, an egg farm in, in, in Kisbara for sale. There was a bit of land. This, again, the land was next to the build-up area. And I said, this would be a, a good uh, uh, purchase. Uh, there was a contract with the egg board at that time. The farm was producing $10,000 a week, guaranteed. But I said to myself, if the egg industry should go bad, the land will take over the value. So that's what happened. Uh, the, the egg board went, so there was open market for eggs. Uh, there was a disaster, yeah. But eventually uh, things stabilized and uh, we decided to develop the land. We developed 165 blocks. So how did you end up starting a, a feed company after owning a butcher? Uh, uh, that's, uh, the feed company came up with the, with the egg farm. We were using the 60, 70 ton a, a day of feed. And uh, the quality uh, and production of the eggs varied a lot. It went up and then, up and then. And uh, talking to other farmers, they say, this is attributed to the feed. So we decided to open around. We had this property. We bought this property. I sold my house in Templestowe and bought this. And uh, there were some old buildings here. And we, we decided to open our own mill. And once we opened the mill, the egg production was so steady and the health of the chicken improved 100%. And, and that was, was the secret. So you found you could make better feed? We make better feed. We knew what we put in the feed. And, uh, and the quality of the feed is the result in the animals. If you can't see that, you shouldn't be in farming. Because whatever you put in your stock is what you get back. If you put rubbish, you get rubbish back. With my feed I used to buy from one company. I didn't change around. But the, the, the quality of the feed was so variable that the chickens straight away, they tell you in two days 
when the feed is no good, production drops, eggshell qualities drops, and uh, yeah. Then we, we told other people, other farmers, and we start to sell uh, feed to other farmers. And that's how this feed mill started. So how did you, how did you find out how to make good feed? Well, in butchering, I learned one thing. If you sell quality, you get steady customers, even if they, even, even if they leave you because you're a fraction dearer, they go somewhere else, they come back because they get value for money. And uh, that's what we, that's what we applied the same here. We want to put good stuff in the feed and you get good feed. You put rubbish, you get rubbish feed. You can sell it cheap, but the result at the end is no good. And that's my motto in life. You have to give people quality and value. If you have quality and you charge like a wounded buffalo, that doesn't work either because people can't afford it. But if you use logic that you put yourself on the other side of the legend and, and, and see the farmers they have to make a living too. So if you give them a good feed, the cows or the chickens or whatever you feed, you see a result. Today, the company that Mario built has a state-of-the-art feed production facility. I sent Miles to have a look at the grain factory and what they do there to ensure the best quality feed. My name is Lindsay Phillips and I'm the production manager here at uh, Riverbank Stockfords. This is where our raw materials come through and we have uh, canola meal, maize, soy, canola seed, barley and wheat come through this intake area. So the procedures, a truck will come across the weighbridge, it'll come up to where this um, sampling stand is, is and we take samples from the A trailer and the B trailer on uh, B doubles and in the single trailer and singles. We'll take uh, three spear samples at the front, three at the back, and then we take the samples in a bucket and we take them into the Q QA area. So that's the process, so if we want to go into the... So you can take you through the various processes we use to check screenings, moisture, protein. All right. I would have known I would have had some manuka honey and tea this morning. Help out your dulcet yeah, you, you have to turn the wild music down. Wild singer. Chris Cornell couldn't hurt anyone. <laughs> yep. Hi, I'm uh, Sean Miller. I'm the quality officer at Riverbank Stock Feeds. And so tell me a bit about what you do here. Um, this is an important part of the process because um, through quality assurance, you know, we can. Um, try to eliminate as best we can uh, product going out to customers uh, that can cause problems in uh, their production of egg or their uh, growth rates um, which uh, in end is gonna you know ultimately result in some uh, major uh, financial losses by customers so is this some testing going on here yeah this is uh durability test so once this started you won't be able to hear anything for about a minute so but this is this is 
this is where the, the pellets get tested to to find out what the finished product is going to look like uh, at, at the end because if it's got a it's just it's pretty much based on a 100 100 grams uh, weight sample of pellets it'll get put into that machine over there which will shake it up for a minute to to sim to simulate the the process of uh, transporting the feed and blowing the feed up into the silo by our trucks and um, so that it's that's the our best way to get a an actual idea of what the pallet's going to look like in the end. Thanks for joining us today. Head along to cowcare.com.au to find out more information on Riverbank Stockfeed's Cow Care program. You can also score yourself a copy of the free Cow Care magazine and find all the other episodes that cover everything from somatic cell count to calf rearing. Special thanks to Mario Bozza, Lindsay Phillips and Sean Miller. My producer is Miles Martignoni. I'm Sean Britton. I'll see you next time.